Hey, alright, welcome back. Um, I haven't done one of these for a little bit, so I'm going to be a little rusty getting back into it. I'm trying to think where we were. Um, this is, uh, I'm about to read the second chapter, so technically the third, because there's the intro. Second chapter of The Pilot and the Panda. Uh, this is pages 33, I think it's 10 pages. Yeah, to 46. And um, so far, the response to this has been pretty good. People seem to like it, which is good. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to keep going with it. And, I don't know, send me feedback. Do you think, uh, let me know what you think of the, you know, the audio quality. I'm just sort of speaking into the computer and there's a hidden mic somewhere. I might have to upgrade to a real microphone and, start doing this like a real pro but until then uh we're just gonna do it like we've been doing it so here we are this is chapter two of the pilot and the panda uh that night i'm sitting up in my room and staring out the window at the lit up alley wondering what comes next i'm on a new pack of cigarettes paid for with al's money and i've still got the five downstairs i can hear my roommates meandering around inserting and removing movies from the vcr Here's your little dated thing. DVDs didn't exist in 1996, which is when this takes place. Inserting and removing movies from the VCR, inserting and removing food from the oven, inserting and removing CDs from the stereo, expelling gurgling sounds that pass for communication in this year of our Lord, 1996. There is no way I will go down to that zoo with those animals, I say to myself down in the zoo where the animals stare at you and don't understand your language, categorize you into simple filing cabinets with cheap words and careless commentary. I'll stay in this room until I starve to death if I have to. There's a knock at the door and it's Larry again, God damn it! but this time he's got the portable phone and it's a call for me. I thank him, resting the white plastic phone from his meaty paw, but he's still standing there in the doorway like he's going to supervise the entire conversation. So what can I do but repeat this morning's four-star performance and slam the door in his face? Yes, I say. Hey, Dave, says a female voice, distant under the static crackle of a poorly charged portable phone. Who's this? Pause. It's Judy. My heart does a backflip and lands on its head. Oh, hello, Judy. And I actually remember, uh, I remember writing that in 1998, the line, uh, my heart does a backflip and lands on its head. And I have to say that uh, over 10 years later, I really like that line. I remember that um, my pal Joe Terry was over my apartment on 18th and Fairmount where I lived with my old pal Joe V in the last years of the 20th century. And, uh, Joe Terry was giving it a read. Here we are. You know, I was up to this 30th page or whatever. And he was like, you know, you're on to something because you really liked that line. He could relate. Uh, so he says, hello, Judy. And she says, what are you up to? Absolutely nothing. Why don't you come over? Just like that, she says flatly. More of a negative statement than a question. Sure, why not? We haven't spoken in what? Two weeks? And that's all you say? Come over? I've been worried about you, you know? Where have you been? Dead, I wanted to tell her. You shot me in the stomach and I actually died. How would that sound? I've been busy, I tell her. Busy, she says. You don't have a job and 
Listen, Judy, I hate phones. You know that. I hate talking on the phone. This can't be difficult. Why don't you just come over? Fine. When are you getting here? I have to take a shower. About an hour. Shower? It's already night. Why do you always have to take a shower? How many showers do you take a day? You're not obsessive-compulsive, are you? I just got home from work, Dave. Work. Remember work? You ever work before? Maybe you wouldn't understand. Now, now, I try to, I say, try to add some levity to my voice and keep you from getting tangled in the phone cord of electronically transmitted arguments. Don't be sore. Just come over. I'll be here. Promise. Okay, then. In an hour. See you then. And that was that. I plopped down on my bed with the cordless phone still clutched dumbly in my hand and started thinking about Judy again. Judy, stupid Judy. What was I thinking asking her over? Already the bad Judy feeling was swarming in my stomach like a nest of angry hornets. She drove me crazy. Was it a good crazy or a bad crazy? I didn't know what kind of crazy it was, but it was crazy, all right. The hornets in my stomach were buzzing and burning. First they circle, then they sting. I had tried to avoid it before, but if I stopped calling her, sure enough, she would call. But where was she when the fun stopped? <laughs> it's a Hunter S. Thompson line. Where was she when I was lying around the room in the dark, my heart disintegrating, my world collapsing, staring at bottles of sleeping pills? Where was she then? Where was she when I had stolen those two tickets to the Philadelphia Orchestra of Mal's place and all I wanted to do was spend a wonderful evening with her, taking in the sacred music, and then lay in bed with her until dawn with the cold winter swirling outside the windows? Oh, 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 she was with the other guy? Ah, Tisk, such a shame, really. The other guy. And which one would it be this week? Steve? Jason? Jeff? I couldn't keep track of them all. It was a grossly lit grocery list, the length of the Dead Sea Scrolls. She had more suitors than Penelope, a whole line of them stretching to the horizon, each one with a better offer than the last. But Judy couldn't wait for her Odysseus like Penelope did. Oh no, first she had to try out each suitor. A little moonlit drive to New Hope, or perhaps a candlelit dinner in Old City, just taking it, maybe just taking in a film or two at the Ritz. Men with money, that's all they were, well-dressed men with money. Why Judy ever called me in the first place was beyond me. I was perpetually in a state of financial ruin. Her friends hated me. She couldn't even stomach introducing me to her parents. No future, they all warned her. Deadbeat on the road to nowhere, they presaged. Jerk, they said. Why did she even bother with me? Because, Dave, you're so intelligent. You're unique, unlike the rest. No one like me, so I hear. Well, where does this inimitable status get me? A date once a month, a kiss if the mood is right, and if I'm lucky, a free fuck. Well, fuck a fuck. All I wanted was someone I could count on in this crazy world, someone to keep me together, someone to share all these visions and ideas and scenes and feelings with, someone to help me not think about Alice anymore. Goddamn Alice. Alice who broke my heart. Alice who ruined my life. Alice who drove me to the brink. Alice who made me grow up way too fast. And I was a, that grow up way too fast was a line from a small factory song called If You Hurt Me, which you should 
look up someday. It's really funny because I had the, the line that me and Josh Carr used to always like, which was, you know, if you break my heart, I'll smash up your car. <laughs> I put that on a mixtape once, and the girl never called me again and then told her friends that I had threatened her car. And I told her friends that she didn't have a car. And they said, I'm sorry. Anyhow, <laughs> uh, where was I? Shot my chances, broke my will, smashed my horizon. Where was Alice now? That was the torture game that made the stomach wasps turn into basilisks with claws. Where was Alice now? This very moment. My overactive imagination focused its high-resolution camera on a bed featuring Alice and some richy-rich motherfucker, a total jerk-off who right then and there, as I was laying on my bed with my clothes and books all over the floor, with my letters from friends who I would never write back piled up on the desk, with a cordless phone clutched in my sweaty hand like a plastic teddy bear, and the holes getting bigger in my dirty jeans, right then and there that suave punk with the bigger, big wallet and the even bigger Johnson was whispering sweet little nothings into Alice's ear. I was sure of it, the words just slithering off his tongue and into her tender eardrum, the breath of his warm tone careening smoothly into her, while perhaps his hand was sliding its way under her belt and into her pants like a cobra. As his breath was getting heavy in her soft little ear, and he used his neatly manicured finger to flit aside the little wisp of black hair hanging over her ear, his snake tongue flicking into the white ear, and she was squirming under the sheets and smiling and feeling all tingly and good inside. And did she remember that deadbeat poor kid, that stupid Dave Baxter? Did she read the letters he had sent her? I lay down on my stomach and cradled my head in my arms. My eyes pressed against the bed. I was losing it again, apparently. The bad feeling was running through me like poison. Why did I get so bent out of shape over these stupid things? Over these stupid girls? Was there something wrong with me? I needed something else. Something that was missing. I needed something that I could focus the surfeit of my passions, loves, energies into. A job. A hobby. A something. Something else. I thought to myself that I had a, if I had a car, a good, nice, solid, American, reliable car, then I would get in it and I would drive and drive, drive fast and straight and with purpose, drive all of this off, and I would keep driving through wild weather, through fantastic mountain ranges, through dark and spooky woods, through sad-looking neon towns, nameless suburbs, open prairies, windy harbors, fiery volcanoes and lonely moors and thick swamps and teeming jungles and barren and blazing deserts, and on and on, and I would never stop. I would drive until the end of the world, and it would be at the end of the world that I would finally pull over, get out, have a stretch, light a smoke, set up camp, and then I'd sit there with arms folded and eyes bent until Armageddon came and blew this whole piece of shit universe sky motherfucking high end of story. Amen. It was in the tumult of these terrible torrential thoughts. <laughs> I was really into that, that... <laughs> The assonance and the consonance thing. The tumult of these terrible torrential thoughts that I heard the shuffle of feet and the knock on the door. And I said, don't come in. And sure enough, the door opens and there's Judy. Judy. I didn't get up. I just lay there on my stomach with my head in my arms, trying to shake off the toxins of a tortured imagination. Who let you in? I asked. I don't know, she said, sitting down at my desk with its humble lamp and lighting a cigarette. 
one of your roommates. I can't keep track of them all. I sat up on the bed and watched her smoking. Her light brown hair was yellow under the soft lamplight. Curls of smoke drifted up towards the low ceiling. The books didn't look right piled up on the desk next to her. Dorothy Parker. Sal moved out, I said. Good, she said, dragging hastily on her cigarette. Nervous topic. Oh, how you reveal yourself. I hated Sal. He was a real asshole. You think so? No comment. Well, you didn't seem to think so the time you two went to the movies. I mean, he didn't make it sound like it was all that bad. What are you talking about, she said dryly, sans question mark inflection. You didn't think he told me about that? You didn't think he told me about what a terrible kisser he thought you were? Don't talk like that, Dave. You think it's nice to hear things like that from your roommates? Again, she just says, responds with three little dots in quotes. Well, it's true, really. The bit about the bad kisser, I mean. He's right. You are a terrible kisser. You're too sloppy. I always have to wipe my mouth on my sleeve every so often. You what? Well, I mean, I don't do it so I do it so you don't notice. Though now that summer's coming, I'll have to wear short sleeves. I'm not sure what I'll do. I guess I'll use my hand. Though that does seem a bit crass. She picked up a book off of my desk and threw it at my head. It missed and hit the wall with a dull thud. I looked at the book, Men Without Women, by Ernest Hemingway. How fucking appropriate. What's your problem, is all she said. I didn't say anything. I just looked at the foreign floor and felt the bad feeling coming back stronger than ever. A terrible feeling all throughout. I asked her to come over to the bed and sit with me, but she wouldn't budge. She just sat there and lit another cigarette. I'm going to have a sip of this. He had parched doing all his reading. I don't know what you see in me, I said, stupidly, dejectedly. You're right, I'm an asshole. A complete asshole. I never said that, she said weakly. And with that, we didn't say another word. We both sat there, not even really looking at each other. Inside me, I felt things dying. Vital organs, perhaps, failing one by one. It was awful. I wanted to throw her out the window, or maybe just throw her on the bed and start kissing her. I couldn't decide, but I didn't do anything. I just lit a cigarette and sat there. I didn't even have the guts to ask her for an ashtray. I just ashed on the floor. The silence was deafening. I looked at her. Her light brown hair was cut really short now, like a boy. It looked very attractive. You got a haircut, I finally said. Yes, I did. I like it. It looks nice. Thank you. I wanted to tell her things. I wanted to tell her that I was old-fashioned and that I didn't want to share her with anyone, and I just wanted to have a simple relationship where we would meet every day and get something to eat together and go to the movies together and write cute notes to each other and walk around through parks and look at things together and hold hands and not be embarrassed to hold hands in public and maybe even stupid things like kiss right at sunset, just like in the movies. I wanted to tell her that being an old-fashioned guy, I thought it was totally disrespectful to kiss all sorts of other guys in addition to me, and if she just came to see me more often, I wouldn't have all this bottled-up spite towards her. And if I knew I could rely on her, I wouldn't always be so petulant and impatient. That I wanted to be able to count on her. That it wasn't asking much. That yes, the girl I was seeing before her was named Alice, and yes, that was a big fucking deal to me, and yes, I'm not over her, but I'm trying, God damn it, I'm trying, and if you can help me, and if you can help me, we can do this, and we can get me over this together, but please, just please be there for me, and I promise you, I swear on my life and on poetry and everything sacred, I swear I will never let you down. 
So what do you want to do tonight? Is what I said instead. I don't know. Did you drive here? Yes. Well, let's go for a spin. Where do you want to go? I don't know. Anywhere. Well, let's go then. And with that, we went. And uh, I'm going to kind of take a little pause here, and, uh, and then I'm going to wrap up this episode. Thanks again for listening. This is Fort St. David's podcast, radio, whatever you want to call it. I'm Eric Bader. You're listening to The Pilot and the Panda, an old book from a long time ago.